you believe in God? Do you believe that someone created you and everything you see around you? Does your God sit on a throne in the sky controlling everything in the universe? What if God was some guy sitting in his mom's basement playing a video game? And what if you were just a character in his game? What if everything you see, are, know, and experience is all just a sequence of ones and zeros? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who apologizes to the GPS when I make a wrong turn. This week... You think that's air you're breathing now? I'm going to tell you why you're most likely the product of someone else's imagination. Let's take a trip into the simulation theory. Before we dive into the science of this, and there is a lot of science to this, let's just dip our toes in and get used to the water. In my early 20s, I was really into playing The Sims. The Sims, for those of you who for some strange reason don't play video games, is a world simulation game where you choose an avatar, including the traits that make up their personality, and they're your character in a virtual world. And your Sims always need something. Food, a shower, sleep, social interaction. And God forbid you give them a fish tank. It's bad enough you have to keep these digital people alive. Now you have to make sure they don't kill their digital fish? Here we are, 20 years later, and according to the PlayStation Store, I can buy hundreds of expansion packs for my Sims, including one that turns them into vampires, one that's centered around getting famous, and several that seem to be all about having to do mundane chores like laundry and vacuuming. And folks, if you ever find yourself wanting to play a video game where you vacuum, please call me and I will gladly talk you off that ledge. Life is too short. Anyway. The thing with The Sims and other simulation games is if you truly leave your avatars alone, they'll eventually sort of figure out how to feed and bathe themselves and live a life and die. The characters are designed with some kind of internal alarm that goes off when enough time has passed between meals or naps or pooping. If you, as their creator, don't feed them or put them in their beds or on their toilets, they will try to do it themselves and generally succeed. If you leave them to their own devices, your Sims characters will find entertainment and companionship. Are my Sims from 20 years ago still living out their lives on some server somewhere? Let's say I created a character 20 years ago. Let's call her Bobby. Would Bobby have found a partner? Would she have had children, even though her genitals appear to just be a pixelated blob? Would her children have had children? Put very simply, would they have free will? And what if I, their all-knowing seer who thinks I have free will, am really an avatar in someone else's simulation game? What if I'm playing my simulation game while inside someone else's simulation game? Look, who am I? And I don't mean that in a philosophical sense. I mean, who am I to go around saying maybe we're a simulation? Lord knows I'm not a quantum physicist or a science fiction writer or a car designer. That joke will make sense in a minute. The person who really got the conversation on the simulation theory going was Nick Bostrom, a philosopher at Oxford. 
Side note, philosophy is my favorite occupation. Literally, your job is to think. The only thing better would be to be a professional sleeper. In a 2003 paper, Bostrom asked, what if off in the future somewhere, our descendants are running a simulation of us, their ancestors, for whatever reason? They want to see what life was like in the past. They want to try to learn from our mistakes. They're just baffled by our weird-ass choices. The computing power in the future would be big enough and sophisticated enough that the simulated universe would be indistinguishable from base reality. Bostrom's argument is that if, quote, a certain quite widely accepted position in the philosophy of mind is correct, unquote, the avatars in this sophisticated simulation would be conscious. I think basically what he's saying is that if the characters can think, essentially they actually exist, as in, I think, therefore I am. But I'm not certain because philosophers apparently have a silent agreement never to speak plainly. But in case that's not clear, what Bostrom is saying is that because the avatars would be conscious, we could be those avatars. The natural law of Earth says that consciousness can only exist in the body of a carbon-based brain, i.e. you, me, a monkey, a slug, or a flat earther. But just like we defied the law of gravity with airplanes, we defied the law of carbon-based thinking with computers. So, in layman's terms, or at least in gamer terms, the simulation theory goes like this. Imagine it's 500 years in the future, and the hottest new video game is called How We Were. It's like The Sims, but the world and the characters look like how they did in the olden days. You can set it in any time period before the current one. Each character is coded to learn as it interacts with the world, and that includes learning about and already knowing history. So, if you decide to start your game in the year 2021, for example, the world and the characters in it will have just survived the Great Plague of 2020. That history is coded into the game. Also coded in, I guess, is every character's individual history. That would have to be randomly assigned. Otherwise, whoever designs a simulation has to write and code billions of individual histories. Unless, as some people believe, there would only need to be enough unique characters to fill one person's world. Not only that, but according to this theory, not every person you see day-to-day needs to have any backstory at all, unless you interact with them. They could be NPCs, non-player characters. If you've ever wondered if everyone else is just an extra in the story of your life, this theory would back that up. On the Reddit thread Glitch in the Matrix, a user named Grimace Fry claimed to have noticed NPCs in their life. And a quick sidebar here, I wish I could find stories about people finding evidence of being in a simulation somewhere other than Reddit, mostly because Reddit is a cesspool of toxicity. But oddly enough, I can't find any peer-reviewed scientific papers about evidence that we're in a simulation. So Reddit it is. I've lived in a house atop a steep hill for the past four years. Every day my partner goes to work in the morning at a different time. It can be anywhere between uh, 4.30 a.m. and 6 a.m. Every day at exactly the same location on the hill down from our house was a man walking a dog. 
I tend to leave the house anytime between 6 and 8 a.m. and every day at exactly the same location on the hill down, I too saw a man walking a dog, wearing the same thing every day, like he never changed. This started to drive me crazy. Why was he always there at that spot, no matter when I left the house? I talked to my partner about it, and that's when we discovered we both saw the same thing. I believe that the simulation constructs various animations around us that are triggered by certain things. Uh, For example, every day when my vehicle approaches a certain part of the hill, the man with the dog is triggered and now exists in my simulation. So, to test the simulation theory, I devised an idea. My partner and I made a plan. The next morning, we were going to do something unpredictable. We were going to start the car, wind down the window and engage in conversation with the man walking the dog. My thinking was that if he was just an animation, he wouldn't be coded to uh, expect interaction. What would he say? The morning came, I drove to work, and for the first time since we moved into that house, the man with the dog was not there. I called my partner, same thing, man with the dog, nowhere to be seen. It's now been six months, and the man with the dog still hasn't returned. But now, there's a lady standing at the bus stop. She is also always there at the bus stop, no matter when we leave. And she's dressed up like she doesn't belong, way overdressed for someone who would be catching the bus. So tomorrow is Monday and the test is going to be repeated. I'm stopping the car and going to offer her a lift to the train station. I'm expecting she won't be there. This story highlights another aspect of simulation theory. The amount of computing space doesn't have to be so big that the entire world is rendered at once. Grimace Fry suggested that when their car gets to a certain point, the code for the man with the dog or the lady at the bus stop is triggered. Those NPCs don't need to be taking up any computing space until their code is triggered by the car approaching. This is a really twisty thing to try to explain, but basically this theory states that only what you see at one given time is what exists in your world. The rest is theoretical. You hear a garbage truck going by outside and you assume a garbage truck is going by outside. But that garbage truck doesn't need to exist unless you're looking at it. Sound is enough to paint a picture. But what if, completely unexpected by the person controlling your avatar, you suddenly decide to look out your window at the garbage truck, and it isn't there? A glitch or a bug didn't pick up on the focus of your avatar in time to code the garbage truck where it should have been. And you go, what the fuck? I know I just heard a garbage truck. Am I going crazy? And you call a doctor immediately and or you Google heard garbage truck, but it wasn't there. And among the answers you might find would be the theory that you're living in a simulation. And just as you start to maybe get comfortable with the idea that you might be a simulation, you learn that some really smart people think the chances that you are a simulation are billions of times greater than the chances that you're not. Take a drink now, because when we come back, you might never look at a glass of wine again without thinking, this isn't real. 
Now listen, I'm not going to pretend to understand the mechanics of this because I don't. But me not understanding something has never prevented me from acting like an expert on it. Also, if you're like an MIT graduate or a theoretical physicist or whatever, please don't listen to the rest of this episode because I am sure you will feel the need to well actually me so much that you will literally short circuit yourself. I want you to pretend this is a Roland Emmerich film and just take it in without trying to understand the logic behind it, okay? Strap in. Eccentric billionaire, car, and spaceship builder Elon Musk, when he's not busy cosplaying as Tony Stark, has said that the chances that you and I are not characters in a simulation are billions to one. Which means if asked if he would bet that we, you and I, are simulations, he absolutely would. Let's say how we were the hypothetical simulation game in 500 years is played by 140 million people, which is how many copies of Grand Theft Auto V have sold so far. So there's 140 million simulations. Already, the odds of us not being a simulation are pretty low. Now imagine at least one character in each of those 140 million games plays their own simulation game. And then their characters play a simulation game. I'm pretty sure that's the definition of exponential growth. And the odds of you and me not being simulations becomes billions to point zero 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 one or something. Here's a good way to picture it. Imagine you plant a seed. The seed grows a tree. That tree grows hundreds of seeds. Those seeds grow hundreds of trees and on and on until you have a vast forest of trees. The likelihood of picking that original seed out of all the seeds is almost non-existent. So now let's assume we are indeed a simulation because math. So if someone booted up this simulation this morning, you came into existence today and all of your memories are fake. You think you've binged all the episodes of this podcast because you remember doing that last Saturday when you were painting the guest bedroom. But that's just because this podcast is part of your backstory. And so is your guest bedroom. And so is that can of paint. And me. And there's no way for you to know that any of this isn't real. Except for the glitches. In April of this year, a woman from Arkansas posted a story about herself and her seven-year-old, both experiencing a blank nothingness while waiting for her husband in the car. I mean, everything went pitch black for a second, and I had no sense of sound. It was gone as fast as it came, and I thought I had blacked out. Before I could say anything, my seven-year-old son said, Mom, what just happened? My heart instantly dropped because there is no fucking way he just experienced the same thing at the exact same time as me, right? Just to make sure I didn't put anything into his head, I asked what he was talking about. He said, word for word, It was totally dark for a minute and I couldn't hear anything. I immediately rolled down my window and looked everywhere for some kind of explanation. A blimp, a plane, a cloud, a bird even though I knew none of that could explain what we had experienced. But there was nothing. Not a single thing in the perfectly blue sky. There was a man fixing his car right next to us, and he was completely unfazed, so I don't believe he experienced it. 
Her post has dozens and dozens of comments from people claiming they experienced similar things. One person said they almost ran into a herd of deer on the road, everything went black, and the next thing they knew, they were on the other side of the herd of deer as though they had somehow driven right through them with no consequences. Now look, these stories are anecdotal, and these people could just be making it all up. I do tend to give people the benefit of the doubt, to a fault. But I also wonder why someone would bother making up a story on some obscure Reddit thread. Do people really have that much time on their hands? Then again, that seems to be what a lot of people use message boards for, right? Creating different versions of themselves, pretending to have a life that's more exciting or interesting. I suppose one could say these people are almost creating a simulation of themselves. See what I did there? But let's assume for the sake of argument that at least some of these stories are true. Could they be examples of glitches in the coding? Could it be whoever was running the simulation paused it for a few seconds and for some weird reason the woman and her son in the car remained aware when they weren't supposed to be? Or that the moment before the car careened into the herd of deer, a bug in the code caused the simulation, or at least that specific incident in the simulation, to skip over the disaster as though it never happened. Or that the controller of that particular simulation felt particularly benevolent in that moment and decided to spare the lives of the driver and the deer. Then again, if we are just code on a server somewhere, what do we need with benevolence? If we're just ones and zeros, how do we even feel anything anyway? Computer avatars don't have nerve endings. They can't feel anything. When you're playing a video game and your character gets hurt, they don't really feel it, right? You sure about that? When your video game character gets hurt, it cries out, right? Because the person who built the game coded an if A, then B scenario. If A, the character gets stabbed, then B, they cry out. We fill in the blank that the character felt pain, just like we fill in the blank of the garbage truck when we hear the garbage truck. But what if for the character in the game, what if whatever code it is that triggers them crying out in pain actually feels like pain? What if what you and I experience as pain is just a computer code? And if our physical sensations are just code, so are our emotions. What is the computer code for love? When your heart breaks and you want to die, what is the sequence of ones and zeros that creates that feeling? And just in case your brain isn't twisted inside out enough, who is it that's deciding how and what we feel? And where are they? And where are we? If we really are just avatars in a glorified video game, where does the text box pop up that says you are leaving the playable area? Some people have claimed to have tried to get to the edge of the simulation and have lived to tell the tale. On the Reddit board glitch in the Matrix, a user shared a post entitled An Absolutely Mind-Melting Experience. Proof that we live in a computer simulation or an insane coincidence. You decide. 
They begin by explaining that they have bipolar type 1 and that their manic episodes sometimes lead to psychotic mania in which, as they phrase it, their connection to reality starts to slip. On the other hand, they say it could be that they're just aware of the illusory nature of this existence. I've been meaning to write about this for a long time on Glitch in the Matrix, as this is one of the strangest and most inexplicable moments in my life. It could, of course, be one major coincidence. I can't exactly recall specifically what set me off, but after a couple of days of no sleep and seeing bizarre synchronicities everywhere, coincidences that seem to have a deeper meaning... I started to question if this life is real or some sort of massive simulation. The Post goes on to say that they watched a movie where someone decides to see if they're in a simulation by attempting to drive to the edge of it. According to the movie, if we really are in a simulation, roadblocks will start to appear to try to prevent you from going further. If you manage to get past the roadblocks, though, you'll eventually get to the edge where everything will be pixelated. So I said, why not try it? I got in my car, got on a major road that I had only driven a couple miles east on and started driving. I had absolutely no destination in mind and I had no idea where that road would take me. I figured that I would drive for a half hour or so and see what happened, but I barely made it five minutes before I noticed cop cars speeding past me. As I made it to the maybe three or four mile mark on the trip, I came to an intersection blocked by dozens of cop cars. I had to come to a complete stop. I was absolutely stunned. I sat there for several minutes in shocked silence. Immediately after I decide to test out the universe, it delivers right back to me one giant back up and go home response. As I sat there, a policewoman walks up and informs me that a shooting had just occurred a few minutes ago, like right before I had started driving, almost as if the designer of the simulation said, oh, fuck, we have another runner, better throw up a roadblock fast. I I considered going around the incident and then continuing, but at that point, my mind was too thoroughly fucked with to continue. I I I decided to go home. The thoughts have never ceased to trouble me. Was this all some colossal coincidence and I just ran into it? Or was I actually testing the boundaries of our artificial universe and a roadblock was put there to stop me from causing problems? Okay, so you know what I have, right? I have notes. First of all, any story that begins with, I hadn't slept in a couple days, I'm out. Then you want to pair sleep deprivation with a possible psychotic manic episode? Sigh. But while we're here, I'm just going to ask, dozens of cop cars? Dozens? Listen, I live and have lived in places where there are active shooters, It's called the United States of America, and I have never seen dozens of cop cars respond. I've seen helicopters, I've seen fire trucks, I've seen maybe a handful of cop cars, but dozens? On the other hand, maybe that proves his point. Like, why would they need dozens of cop cars for a shooter? Maybe they really were there to block this dude from where the sidewalk ends. 
Maybe even the cops themselves were like, why did they call in every unit from a 100-mile radius for a shooter? Maybe it was a rocket launcher. Whatever. Secondly, who was the poor bastard or bastards that had to get shot for you not to discover the edge of the matrix? Like, couldn't whoever was controlling the simulation just have put a massive sinkhole? A non-fatal 25-car pileup? Caused your car to die? Sheesh. Also, one roadblock thoroughly fucked with you? One roadblock? Get back to me when you've tried this 20 times and got blocked 20 times. It's possible that the reason we haven't reached the outer edge of our simulation is because the designers keep expanding it as we expand our reach. What if the universe is expanding because the coders are trying to prevent us from getting to the edge of the playable area? Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I've acknowledged before, is problematic, but is also super smart and has an incredible ability to explain things in an easily digestible way. Neil deGrasse Tyson believes there's a good chance we're living in a simulation. Tyson posited, however playfully, that perhaps the reason we can't go faster than the speed of light is because the speed of light is actually the speed at which the simulation is advancing. Maybe if we managed to go faster than the speed of light, we would hit the edge of our simulation. You know who else thinks we might be a simulation? Bill Nye. Bill Nye, the science guy. Nye says if we aren't a simulation, it means something catastrophic has happened to humanity and it got wiped off the Earth completely. Which is a heady concept, but put more simply, it means the way technology is advancing, it's inevitable that humans will create simulations that are so lifelike that the characters in it won't know they're in a simulation. So if we aren't currently a simulation, it means that technology stopped advancing, which would take something pretty awful to bring about. Lisa Randall, a Harvard theoretical physicist, is not having the simulation theory argument. She says, it's just not based on well-defined probabilities. The argument says you'd have lots of things that want to simulate us. I actually have a problem with that. We mostly are interested in ourselves. I don't know why this higher species would want to simulate us. Randall believes the chances that we are a simulation are effectively zero. And far be it from me to try to prove a theoretical physicist wrong, but of course I'm going to try. First of all, it seems to me that Bostrom's theory really only depends on one initial fine-tuned simulation being built. So lots of things, as Randall said, wouldn't need to want to simulate us. Only one thing would. And the argument is not that some higher species does this, it's that we do it. In 500 years, we'll probably be essentially the way we are now, just with more advanced technology. And heaven knows humans have been profound navel gazers since the moment we noticed our navels back on the African savanna hundreds of thousands of years ago. We are infinitely interested in ourselves. The simulation theory is nothing new. Philip K. Dick proposed it to a seriously confused-looking audience in France in 1977. 
Tell Plato proposed the concept of false reality in the allegory of the cave more than 2,000 years ago. Also, fun side note, there are some Silicon Valley billionaires paying people to try to break us out of the simulation. Billionaires are paying actual money to actual people to see if they can break us out of the matrix. It's not how I would spend my money if I were a billionaire, which may be exactly why I'm not a billionaire. Anyway. They say what truly sets humans apart from other animals is our ability to be self-aware. That one night, hundreds of thousands of years ago, one of our ancestors looked up into the star-filled sky and thought, who am I in all of this? And if all of this leaves you two wondering what the point of life is, remember this. DNA, the stuff that our science tells us we're made of, is really just a code put together in a sequence that repeats. And that feeling you get when you see your baby smile for the first time or hear someone you love tell you they love you, whether or not that feeling comes from synapses in your brain firing or some programmer's code, at the end of the day, does it really matter? As Joe Pantliano so eloquently put it in The Matrix. I know that when I put it in my mouth... The Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? (sighs) Ignorance is bliss. Wherever or whoever you are, here you are. How you got here is irrelevant. Next time on Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan, what happens when a teen thriller novel writer finds herself embroiled in her own tragic thriller? The devastating and still unsolved case of Caitlin Arquette. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. This episode was written by me and researched by Jess McKillop. Our voice actors for this episode are Luther Creek and Lauren Hooper. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Jennifer Swatek. If you like our show, please, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUpod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. Thank you.